That's the song for the month of Adar. Adar is the month in the Jewish calendar when we celebrate Purim. And so it's a good month to focus on the Midah of Simcha, on the ethical quality or the character quality of Simcha, which we might translate as happiness or joy. We've been having these relatively monthly podcasts for each month of the Jewish calendar. I've been thinking about a particular midah, something that we can think about as a motivation for our actions and a quality of our own souls and personalities. Now, you might ask whether simcha can at all be considered a midah, an actual quality. Isn't simcha or happiness just a mood or maybe an attitude, not really something ethical at all? And in fact, you don't usually find simcha on the typical list of of moral qualities when you look at the Jewish teachers who focus on that. But I want to probe uh, simcha a little bit and see if we can think of it as something more than just an attitude or a mood. So again, the idea of a podcast about a midah is um, one thing for us to think about it, to study that a little bit on an intellectual level. And the other is to see if we can come up with some kind of practice, something we could integrate into our lives to cultivate that aspect of ourselves. Now, of course, when it comes to simcha, as I said in the synagogue, there is this joke that's told about um, uh, what it means to analyze comedy, what it takes to analyze comedy. People say analyzing comedy is like dissecting a frog. It can be very interesting, but the frog tends to die in the process. So I'm hoping anyway, with that caveat, that we can talk in a serious vein about simcha, about joy, without somehow um, destroying joy or joyfulness in the process. Now, one of the ways we can get a fix on what simcha is, is to talk about what it isn't. And I don't want to start by talking about what the opposite of happiness is, but to contrast the Jewish idea of simcha with some American ideas we have floating around about what happiness is. We talk, of course, from the very founding of our society about the pursuit of happiness, which is a right that we're all supposed to be guaranteed to have. And if you think about, you know, popular phrases like, don't worry, be happy. The writer Barbara Ehrenreich um, wrote a book a couple years ago called Bright-Sided, in which she criticized the focus that many Americans have on happiness or, or being pleasant and being joyful and having a good attitude as the source of everything good. Um, She reflected a little bit as someone who was going through a recovery from breast cancer and her experience of being in support groups where people were afraid to have a bad thought, where it was considered to be the case that um, having a positive attitude would guarantee a positive outcome and allowing anything negative to come into the mind would be um, to put recovery from an illness at risk. And this kind of attitude is associated in the United States, at least, with a very famous writer and a philosopher named Norman Vincent Peale, um, who wrote a famous book called The Power of Positive Thinking. So here's a selection from a passage from his book to get a, a flavor of what his philosophy is. He said, if you read this book thoughtfully, 
carefully absorbing its teachings. And if you will sincerely and persistently practice the principles and formulas set forth herein, you can experience an amazing improvement within yourself. By using the techniques outlined here, you can modify or change the circumstances in which you now live, assuming control over them rather than continuing to be directed by them. Your relations with other people will improve. You will become a more popular, esteemed, and well-liked individual. By mastering these principles, you will enjoy a delightful new sense of well-being. You may attain a degree of health not hitherto known by you and experience a new and keen pleasure in living. You will become a person of greater usefulness and will wield an expanded influence. So the American philosophy of positive thinking is that by doing this set of things which create positive thinking and positive approach to life, not only will you feel better on the inside, but you can change all of your relationships and change all of your circumstances and even heal yourself from illnesses. Now that's one perspective, but I want to say that that's not the Jewish perspective. Norman Vincent Peale was a Protestant minister. So to get a Jewish perspective, we look to one particular rabbi. And he's a rabbi who's associated with a, a teaching that's become actually a, a song our klezmer band often does. And the saying is, Mitzvah gedola lihiyot besimcha tamid. It is an important commandment to be in a state of simcha always. Now at first glance, that sounds exactly like Norman Vincent Peale but we'll unpack this and see that it's different. The author of this statement was Reb Nachman of Bratslav, one of the great Hasidic teachers, the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And if we look at Reb Nachman's life in American terms, he was not a happy man. He was born as a prodigy. From a young age, he was considered to be a, a great genius in Talmud. He was descended from a dynasty of Hasidic rabbis and was destined to be great. But from an early age, he didn't like the path that was being laid out before him. And not only did he not want to do what the traditional role would have been, but he began to experience religious doubts from a very young age and to be tormented by them throughout his life. And his outward circumstances were not very easy either. He lost several children in their, in their infancy and in their early years. He lost his wife to tuberculosis, and he himself became ill and died young. And he is the one who teaches mitzvah gedola lihiyot besimcha tamid, that it is a great obligation to be constantly in a state of simcha. Reb Nachman starts by explaining what he takes to be the opposite of simcha, in Hebrew, atzvut, which could be uh, translated as sadness. And he says that sadness is the inability to recognize inside ourselves any ability to do good or any ability to perform a single mitzvah. So immediately, Reb Nachman says that the happiness is not just a feeling or a mood. It doesn't have to do with something that's outside of me, but something that is inside of me. And what it is, is a, is a lack of a recognition. He believes, like all the other Hasidic rabbis, that we have inside what they call a nikudapni mit, an inner point, which is the point of godliness deep in our hearts and in our souls, which is the source of good, the way that God's goodness flows through us out into the world. And that sadness is not seeing it, is not being able to recognize it, even to the point of, 
a single action. And so Rav Nachman says that simcha is there whenever we can recognize one single point. That's his metaphor. If we can find one point in ourselves that does one mitzvah, then we have achieved, at least for that moment, a state of simcha. In one of his teachings, he describes a dynamic this way that takes place in ourselves. He says, imagine a group of people who are standing at a dance and just standing around. He says, what can happen is that some small group of people can begin to dance and they can grab the other people and force them to be part of the circle. He says, that's what happens with our ability to find points within ourselves. It's that we may have small numbers of points in ourselves that are able to do mitzvot. And then they are surrounded by points that are not yet activated. And just by the act of reaching out to those other points and swinging them around, we create more and more of ourself as able to do mitzvot, as able to do good things for the world around us, even though they might not be motivated or feeling joy the way that some people, when you draw them onto a, a circle dance, into a horror, might not in that first moment um, be feeling like doing it, but they are nonetheless dancing. And he extends this metaphor um, in a different direction as well. Rav Nachman says that when you take one point and it's connected to another point and then to another, what you get is a nigun, what you get is a melody. And that any truly soulful melody is made up of distinct small notes, and each note represents one little recognition of the ability to do a mitzvah. I like this teaching of Reb Nachman's for a couple of reasons. One is that he's very careful not to say that being in a state of simcha will change the world around us in any way. He doesn't say it will automatically heal our relationships or make us healthy if we're sick or even put us in a good mood all the time. He says that's not the test of what it means to be happy. It's something much more profound. Happiness is the ability to see within ourselves the ability to perform a single mitzvah or a series of mitzvot, to recognize ourselves as a source of good. And in that way, simcha to him isn't maybe even joy so much as it's pride, a sense of self-worth. And out of that, anything can flow, even if we're not in a good mood, per se. And from a Hasidic point of view, he might be distinguishing between what we might call a shallow joy and a deep joy. Because there are a lot of things that put us in a good mood, but Reb Nachman cuts to the thing that should put us in the, in the best frame of mind, or he might say frame of soul, and that's the ability to, to, to be a, a channel through which God's energy flows into the world. So the reason we might sing and we might dance is out of great pride in that and great joy in that. Knowing that is all we need to know in order to feel that it's worth dancing and that it's worth singing. We can relate this teaching of Reb Nachman to the story of Purim itself, because Purim is a story about hiding and revealing, about something which is not seen and something which comes to be seen. Purim is focused on the character of Esther. Esther, in Hebrew, her name means the hidden one, and she is someone who has to be hidden away. She's taken out from her world, from her relatives and her family, to go into this palace, which is sectioned off from everywhere else in order to become the queen. And to take on that role, she has to be clothed in a certain way and made up and perfumed to move from being Hadassah, who she really is, to become someone who's there really just as an adornment to this man, to King Ahasuerus. And she is so hidden away in the palace that she can't see what's happening 
around there or do anything about it. She doesn't even hear about this plot against her own people, the Jews, until it somehow a letter has managed to smuggle its way into her, into the, into the walls, into this place where she's not revealing that she's Jewish or who she is, even to her husband, the king. And when the Jews are, are finally at risk, Mordechai challenges her to act and to say, I need you to move beyond what's hidden, to overcome your name that we've given you, the hidden one, and to come out and to, to be who you are. And the one thing that you can do because you're in that unique place is to talk to the king and to save us. And Esther has to make a decision about being there and just preserving her own position within the mask or whether she's going to be a source of rescue, of Hatzalah, for the Jewish people. And I think the way the story plays out, which is that Esther does make that choice, um, is connected to a phrase at the end of the Megillah. When it's all over, the Megillah says that the Jews experience ora v'simcha. They experience light and joy. Light means something's able to be seen. Light means recognition. And Esther comes to be able to see herself and then to be seen as someone who can be a source of redemption for, for her people. My very first visit to Temple Beth Abraham for my first interview took place during the week before Purim. And at the evening minyan, I talked about the sense of deep joy, simcha, and how it's connected to Purim and to the synagogue. And I said there for the first time something I've repeated again and again. What kind of joy comes from being part of a, a true community? What kind of simcha? It's knowing that you're in a place where you are seen as the source of mitzvah, that you are looked at not just as who you are and the way you dress and how everyone else in the rest of the world sees you on the outside. You know when you're here that you're being seen as the deepest thing that you are, which is the source of mitzvot, the source of goodness, the source of connection, and even like Esther, the source of redemption for all the other people around. And when you know that you are that way, and you are seen by other people that way, and you look around and you see a room, whether it's the small chapel or the huge sanctuary, full of other people who bring that into the world, how could you not experience a sense of simcha? How could you not be joyous? So yes, sometimes we experience the result of that kind of simcha as a great mood, as a smile, as singing, and as dancing. But the real simcha isn't, isn't the mood itself. Sometimes we might experience that just as a quiet feeling of contentment, of serenity. Or it might come to us at a difficult time or in a bad mood, not as something that really changes our mood or changes our feeling, but as a recognition that helps us get along and get a little bit further. And that too is joy, that's simcha. It's not the same as positive thinking. It's not the same as banishing other thoughts. And it doesn't automatically change everything that's around us. But that is what simcha can be if we look at it from a Jewish point of view. Sometimes we sing the rousing songs where we dance and we're as loud as possible. Sometimes we sing it as the mellow songs, as the quiet, savoring tunes that we have. Call it being lifted up. Call it being brought in a deeper connection to the deepest part of ourselves. Two different ways to experience simcha. If there's a practice that we can bring that's connected with simcha, it's that other thing which I have spoken about again very often, the third eye. The part of us that sees ourselves and that sees other people the way that God would see us. 
when we need simcha, when we need to feel better about ourselves by seeing our souls in a greater light, we open up that third eye and direct it. Sometimes we need to direct it inside. Sometimes we need to direct it outside and feel the good fortune of seeing the other people around us in a bright new light. Rub Nachman teaches that happiness, that simcha, is always against a shadow. And indeed, that's why simcha means anything to us at all. And the shadow might remain or the shadow might become lightened. But when we feel too much of the shadow, that's the time to use the third eye, to shine some light or to sing even one note of a song. Chag Purim Sameach Adar Sameach. I hope you have a joyous celebration this month of Purim. Marbim besimcha, mishenichnas adar. Marbim besimcha.